Hey guys, welcome to the Podcasters Podcast. In this episode, myself and Kane interview Courtney. Courtney formerly worked at Audible, Spotify, and actually headed up the Meghan Markle project as the head producer for the podcast Archetypes. Courtney discusses the challenges and the processes of working with these A-list celebrities on such massive podcast projects for the likes of Spotify. Courtney also reveals Spotify's strategy with podcasting and how it's actually changed since they first acquired the likes of Meghan and the Obamas, and that's essentially what led to so many people being made redundant. Stick around to the end of the episode to hear Courtney's opinions on where podcasting as an industry is headed over the next few years, which, to be honest, does differ from what we typically hear from people in the podcasting world. As we work with almost entirely independent creators, it's super interesting to learn more about what it's like on the other side of podcasting, to work with those A-listers on projects that are nothing like the ones we work on. This episode was recorded using Riverside.fm, as all of our virtual interviews are these days. Uh, The quality of the audio, hopefully, you'll think is super good. And also, there's some really good video quality. It was super seamless to record, easy for Courtney to join. And as I said, the video quality is very good. You'll be able to see the clips on our socials and LinkedIn, TikTok, that sort of thing. If you click the links below, um, hopefully there'll be some clips uploaded by the time this, uh, this podcast goes live so you can actually see the quality for yourself. But yeah. If you're looking to use Riverside.fm for your virtual recordings like we do, click the link at the top of the show notes, use the discount code PODCAST15 with a capital P, um, and let's get into the episode. Thank you very much for joining us, Courtney. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Good, good. How did you get started in the podcasting game? Take us back to the start to give us a bit of context how you got into podcasting. Oh gosh, how, how long do you have? I mean, so... My my short answer is that audio has been the through line of my life. I started as a music journalist back in Seattle in the grunge days. I can tell you all about seeing Nirvana at small venues and all of that. But uh, I also would listen to NPR all the time, which is like our BBC, basically. And so it was like the spoken word and music and, you know, always having headphones on like this or not exactly like this, much cheaper. But um, I realized that. I spend most of my time listening to things and I had been both a digital journalist and a like written word journalist. And I realized like the way that in which I like to consume content is through my ears. And so I sort of carved a path for myself towards this. I had been working at um, discovery. And before that I was at uh, Yahoo. I was at MTV radio, MTV VH1 radio which was sort of a combination of my audio music and spoken word. But then I was like, podcasts are really my speed. I saw a job listing for Audible, um, which actually was after, a week after, I told you this would be long and meandering. Picture this. I'm commuting from New York City to New Jersey, which may mean nothing over the UK, but you have to go through this treacherous tunnel that is ancient and crumbling on a train and you come up and you're finally like back into the world. And one of the first stops is in Newark, New Jersey. And there's like a beacon is the building that audible is in. And at the time, you know, it's got the logo with the sound waves and I'm with my cousin. And I said to her, I want to work there. Two weeks later, I found that discovery was basically eliminating my job. And like the day prior to that, they posted a audible job to lead sort of their short form content um, 
service, which was then called Channels, to work with someone named Eric Newsom, who I deeply respect. If you've heard of him, he writes a newsletter called The Audio Insurgent. Um, anyway, applied, got the interview, got the job, and sort of the rest is history. Um, you know, my work at Audible sort of crossed both podcasts and audiobooks, which is the bread and butter of Audible. And I really wanted to specialize specifically in podcasts. So then I started to cast about when it was sort of the peak, the final peak before the downfall, which we can get into of like the podcast gold rush. Spotify was investing a ton of money in podcasts. I was interviewing there. I'd interviewed for a job at Gimlet and it ended up going to a more talented person named Nicole Beamster Bower. <laughs> Hi, Nicole. Um, but they kept, they liked me a lot and they said, okay, we'll keep you, you know, in our files, which is always, you think a bunch of BS, but not mm. long after that, they called me and they said, Spotify originals is looking for a creative executive, one of their lead creative executives to kind of be the bridge between something like Gimlet and the Spotify mothership. Um, and if you need me to explain what Gimlet is, was RIP, I can. Yeah. Um, anyway, I got that job and it was great until the bottom started to fall out of the industry. And I was one of the lucky few and then the lucky many who got an exit package and I've sort of been figuring out what's next. So how many years ago did you start at Audible? Oh my gosh. Mm, I have to do this by how old my kid is. I (laughs) think it was 20, I want to say 2017. Okay. So you've been in the podcasting space for a long time. Long relative to your age, less long relative to my age, but yes. (laughs) Yeah. I I definitely think relative to industry as well, because realistically, most of the bigger shows have sort of started around lockdown and since there's not Mm -hmm. been too many that that superseded that. Mm -hmm. So when you when you say sort of the industry fell out, let's sort of get into it, because this is what I really wanted to cover, because there was it seemed to be. Um, from my perspective anyway, sort of a a golden period throughout 2020 and 2021 where companies were borrowing money for next to nothing and investing a lot. And Spotify seemed to sort of think, okay, this is how we win. And we just put a load of cash into podcasting and let's just become the podcasting people. And then every so often on the various newsletters I'm signed up to, it's like, oh, Spotify's made 10,000 people redundant or whatever it is. It's just mm-hmm. like people constantly being let go. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Oh my gosh. What happened? Well, uh, people who are much more articulate on the business end of things will be able to explain this better. But I think pretty much the greater understanding in a very reductive way is that Spotify wrote a blank check to announce to the world or, you know, Daniel Eck gave the content team a blank check and said, whatever it takes to announce to the world that Spotify is not just a music streaming platform, it is also a podcast platform. And not only that, the best podcast platform. Um, So just go spend whatever it takes to get big names that will make splashy announcements and tell the world that this is where you can come get exclusively some of the world's best podcasts and the world's best people, uh, the Obamas, 
you know, Megan and Harry, uh, Bad Robot, I mean, you name it. So that was the metric at the time was money is no object, spend what you need to get people here. And they did. And I think, I mean, I, I haven't checked lately, but I think it is still the most used podcast platform. So by that metric, that, I guess, strategy worked to hmm. fulfill the goal of getting people to, to Spotify um, to listen to podcasts. But then they needed to sort of rejigger the goalpost and decide, actually, the goal is to make money on podcasts. We need these <laughs> to have... Yeah, right. Capitalism, it's a thing. Um, it was So then the goalpost moved and it was like, okay, actually, we need to not just make a return on an investment, but have these be profitable. And I actually had dinner last night with a former Spotify colleague, and I think they've done that. But as you know, they've had to do go to extreme measures to do that. Do so. it the brutal way. Mm. Yeah. So uh, how many people are realistically involved in an operation like that? So let, let's say you worked on the, the Megan podcast uh, amongst others, but how many people from acquiring and signing a talent like that to the planning, the production, the marketing, how many people are required for just one show like that? Well, I mean, it, it depends on who's making it right. But at Spotify, because we have to make sure we're all buttoned up with, um, you know, legal, any legal things that would come up clearances, we Spotify doesn't do fair use when it comes to using clips from old shows, which, you know, Megan was a host on Deal or No Deal. And so, you know, we had to get license a clip for that. Uh, certain songs she wanted to use, we would have to license those. And so there would be the legal department and the clearances department. And then, yeah, back to the deal making people, there was, you know, Don Ostroff was the head of content at the time. So she probably, you know, started the deal along with Courtney Holt. And then, you know, then she has the business affairs people. And I know this is becoming yammering, but it's all meant to just say, even before it sees the light of day or the light of ears, there's all of these people just kind of doing the business work that is required. In terms of producing it, we had, we, we did co-produce with Gimlet. Um, again, RIP. We had an editor, <laughs> we had several researchers, we had people who would uh, do sort of interview prep and pre-interview and booking of guests, uh, both the big names like Serena Williams, and then sort of the experts like Rebecca Traster. Um, and then there would be, you know, uh, myself, and a talent person, a talent sort of producer on Megan's and yeah. And then of course I haven't even mentioned Archwell yet, but there's a whole Archwell foundation operation, which has its own marketing team and its own head of audio, who at the time was Rebecca Sananes, who also shout out great, great person. So I don't think I've even covered it all, but the long story <laughs> short is I think you two plus whoever I'm, I'm hearing in the background are like the whole operation. It's quite, orders of magnitude beyond that to make yes, a podcast yeah, like that makes time. sense yeah it feels the way that spotify approached podcasting podcasting originally feels similar to how likes of saudi arabia are approaching sport at the moment in the sense that they're trying to just host all the boxing events they're trying to have the best footballers there and it's not to make money it's to be like everyone look at us we want to be number one 
But then that approach doesn't make sense financially. Like you said, if you then go from cool, let's throw all this money at the best footballers, or in this case, the best uh, podcasters, to then go, well, actually, now I want to see a return. Mm-hmm. Is is a whole different approach. So I'm imagining on the on these um, shoots and beyond that, like you say, before any content sees the light of day, there's so many people involved. Do you feel like there was a lot of people involved that kind of for the sake of it that didn't need to be there? You know, you don't have to name names. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this person, this person. <laughs> but did you feel like people they went over the top? It's like actually, you didn't need this. You didn't need this. You didn't need this. It's hard to say. I mean, for something at the level of scrutiny as, you know, a Meghan Markle that gets, you know, the Daily Mail exists solely to write about her, apparently, um, you know, you have to be so buttoned up and careful, um, leaving aside all of the financial considerations, just like I said, like everything was fact checked within an inch of its life and legal clearances. So nobody would come at us with a lawsuit if we used it. So I don't I don't know if the problem was the number of people involved. I think even they would say we overpaid. We paid Hollywood money for audio content and it just the math does not add up. And by that I mean the money we we paid in our deals to these big names. What sort of money are you looking to to secure? Cuz was it like a season did did you pay them say for x amount of episodes x amount of time like what what are we talking this is where i start to get aware of my nda that i signed for spotify <laughs> yeah yeah you there's know, anything like, you can't say of course don't worry about it but i mean yeah i mean some of the you, you can look up there's been a lot of good reporting on this in various business journals um but yeah, there was a contract that was you do X number of episodes per X number of seasons, and that en- ended up ultimately getting terminated before all of that saw the light of day. Again, there's a lot of ink spilled on all of that as well. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so those, really- those business journals are a bit more reliable than the Daily Mail, then, yeah? yeah. <laughs> I would say yes. I would say yes. <laughs> good, good. It's funny. So, from how he speaks about it joe rogan he mentions a lot that he wanted to keep as much control over it as possible and it didn't want to change from its original format and i don't know behind the scenes but it seems like there's probably a lot less people involved in his podcast than some of the others yet it seems to be the most successful acquisition that spotify's had so perhaps less chefs is better yeah i mean i don't know i mean i think Let's see. How do how can I say this? Yes, fewer chef, chefs were involved, but like Joe Rogan was already in the business of making a podcast or a video cast or whatever you want to call it, and so it was just all right. Come over to us, be exclusive to us, so people have to come to. And I keep saying us, even though we broke up, but be exclusive <laughs> to Spotify um, and come to to us if you if you're a Joe Rogan fan or a listener or watcher and. So in terms of like the production or the clearances, that was all like on his end, hands off. And, you know, there's been some controversy around that as well, but it's a completely different kind of show than archetypes. So it is not apples to apples. So when you're working with royals like that, obviously there's so many hoops to jump through. Like you said, there's no way of avoiding it. It's not something you can say, oh, we just won't bother doing that. Um, So it completely makes sense why it had to happen. But do you feel like, all those extra hoops 
was part of the problem? I just think that there was no way to avoid it with this particular kind of show. I think it's just, if you're a risk averse company or working with risk averse talent, whose reputations are on the line, you really can't cut corners. Um, And if, you know, yeah, that's all I I can say about that. I I don't think that it was, I don't think they had a choice. It just doesn't lend well to the podcast format where people are expecting certain frequency and certain more free-flowing conversations. Obviously, these people come from Hollywood and TV where it's like, okay, you you get paid, you do this. It's going to be all signed off before it ever gets released and nobody's necessarily expecting anything more. Um, I guess, yeah, where you compare it to, to Joe Rogan, like you mentioned, it's he was already doing it. He didn't really make his name in tv and obviously doesn't really have the same sort of scrutiny that somebody like megan or the, or the obamas would have yeah have you go on i mean i will say more which is that i think the interesting thing is is i'm a journalist by training and trade to an extent and to me the very um deeply researched deeply um architected kind of stories are, are what's near and dear to my heart um, but the audience and the world is telling us different, like what, what they want is people sitting around talking like this. And that is ultimately a less expensive kind of show. But if you want to create sort of a high production, deeply researched, somewhat journalistic, um, kind of show, it does require more people. So I do think that the industry start you know started i mean pre-serial probably but you know going back to sort of npr people kind of talking with each other npr is journalistic too so it's not the best um let's talk about like maybe mark Marin, who i think predates serial he's a guy talking to another guy or gal there's a lot less expense involved in two people talking or three like we are right now and it's interesting that for once the the masses want something that costs less to make so i think that's the way the industry is going thank god for that yeah <laughs> you guys are you guys are gonna be around for a while i think yeah i feel like and we speak to clients about this all the time authenticity is one of the biggest things when it comes to podcasting and when people listen to a podcast it's often they want to see behind the curtain right so if i listen to a podcast from my favorite football pundits i'm listening to it because i want to I don't want the swear words bleeped out. I, I don't want to hear like the stuff they say on TV when they're suited up. I want to see when they're sat there relaxed, what their actual opinions are. That's the beauty of a podcast to me. And I feel like that's just not something that's possible when you work with someone like Megan, right? Because there is no way of going, oh, well, let's just drop our guard because the Daily Mail are already, they're watching the podcast before it's even released, right? So, and I'm, not, I'm sure they're not the only ones. So it almost feels as though those personalities where they are so big that they physically can't do the kind of, here's the behind the scenes look that just podcasting doesn't suit that sort of person. I would say yes. <laughs> I know you don't just want a one word answer, but I will, I will correct you. I, we were very protective of the episodes and we did not give out like pre 
pre-release listens or anything. Mm. So they were just okay. very fast. They just have an army of people mm. ready to jump on something. <laughs> they right? were refreshing Spotify. Yes. Favorite. Yes. Have you done much work with independent creators, perhaps at Audible or when you were doing audiobooks? Is there a big difference in not just working with them, but how that sort of show might succeed? Because I, I have a feeling sort of, the marketing strategy that you guys might use for a celeb would be entirely different to something that we would suggest for somebody who's not known and using their podcast to become known. Yeah, I mean, on the Spotify and Audible level to an extent, because Audible is an Amazon company, so also has pretty decent cash flow. Um, So, you know, they would have to meet a bar of sort of... um, respect or well-knownness in order to end up on Audible, at least via traditional channels. There is something on Audible called, I think it's been, the name is different now, but it was called ACX. It was the Audible, I believe it's, that stands for Audible Creator Exchange, but don't quote me on it. And that was more of the like upstart kind of, I don't have an agent. I don't have a publisher. I don't have anything except myself and my story to tell. And so I'm going to record it and I'm going to upload it and hope for the best. And that's actually how, I don't know if you've heard of Mel Robbins, but that's how she got her start. Um, She's a huge success story for Audible. Um, And I did have the opportunity to interview her and she is, you know, people like that who have the hunger and are going to just find a way to get out there and make their voice heard are really great. And they, they are the kind of people that you, do want to work with because there's no dragging them to the mic. Not that there was with anyone I've worked with who shan't be named, but they, they just kind of, they're themselves to your point about authenticity and she doesn't, you know, gloss over anything. She tells the truth about her story and she's kind of, you know, in her advice, she's, she's hard on herself and hard on other people. Anyway, I could go off, but I think Mel Robbins is a good example of someone who was like, I just have to be heard. And I don't need a huge paycheck at the beginning to get there. I'm just going to get there. Yeah, she is awesome. How much money would Spotify or Audible spend on a marketing budget if they were launching a show? I They will come at me. I cannot give you any numbers. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. sorry. They will come That's at fine. me. <laughs> That's fine. But I'm let's a, just I'm say, a... uh, you know, a fair amount. You can look. It's glossy and there are people who are very well-trained making it and... At least yeah. a good 78 quid. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe $100. Yeah. <laughs> no, How awesome. much do you spend on your marketing? <laughs> ah, great question. Well, you'll have to apply to work with us to find <laughs> Exactly. Right. For this, next to, to nothing, really, to be honest. Yeah, the, the wages of the team to, to, to post. Right. Most, no, not paid ads. So it's pretty much all organic. Mm-hmm. But I suppose with Spotify and Audible, something that we've done a little bit but it's easier for for those guys is cross promotion uh you know if you've got a bunch of app and not amazon or spotify originals i'm guessing i don't listen to many i despise listening to podcasts on spotify despite using spotify exclusively for music <laughs> really it's weird like if anyone says they use apple music i'm like you're a sicko spotify only but then if someone tells me to listen to their podcast on spotify i'm like oh no i can't mix <laughs> so you mean those, yeah. those that blank check that daniel Eck? wrote to make sure everybody listens to podcasts on Spotify did not work for you. No, it did not. No, <laughs> absolutely not a, not a chance. No. I would never, I actually, not that I listened avidly, but I, I think I've listened to one, 
Joe Rogan episode since he moved just because it broke my routine. Like it was too much friction, which is, you know, interesting user behavior. Mm-hmm. But also the SEO for our show on Spotify is rubbish, which makes me like it. Even less. Yeah. <laughs> Although ranking when the, the three words in your podcast are the podcasters and podcast is quite difficult. Yeah, it's dreadful for <laughs> it's like a great search. Name, it's... As I told you, you know what you're getting with this podcast. Yeah, very true. Just hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, you mentioned, Courtney, that tragically you and Spotify broke up. Um, obviously you weren't the only one in that situation. There was a lot of people uh, that they broke up with. Do you feel like where their business was and how their goals changed, that that was the right decision from them? Well, um, hmm. it depends on who you're talking about, right? So if you're the business person and you're saying we need to make a return on this investment, you're going to have to cut some costs. And I guess overhead is the easiest way to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they, you know, they, they, they overspent in the beginning and I think that's not just true of Spotify. You're, you're seeing headlines today about Odyssey having to lay off some people and, you know, Sirius XM has had to as well. So I can't just point the finger at Spotify, but it does seem like it is the go-to way to tell both Wall Street and the bean counters in your business, we're actually going to get our financial act together. So I get mm. it. I've been in media a long time. It's not endemic only to podcasts to have to make those kinds of cuts. Um, you're, you're seeing it in a lot of media businesses right now as well. So uh, LA Times just cut 20% of their newsroom staff, I think. Um, I could go on. So I don't know if I've, I, I think I've sort of danced around the, the question a bit, but I, I think it's not untrue. No, that's, that's quite good. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah that, that makes sense. Um, we, we saw earlier today, didn't we? There was, a, there was a headline on Pod News. It was one of Spotify shows, the big one. What's it called? Call Her Daddy. Call Her it's Daddy. not an exclusive anymore. Yeah. What's um, happening with that? Do you think that's related to their change of approach and kind of what they're wanting to get out of working with these shows? I mean, if monetization is the goal and it's, you've already achieved your goal of having, or, you know, profitability is the goal and you've achieved your goal of your initial goal of having people come to your platform, you no longer need that lever as a way to achieve your new goal, which is make money, be profitable. Um, I can't say I'm not there anymore. Um, But I would guess, I would guess that this is, I mean, we've seen it with other shows too, some of which no longer exist, but that they, they did that with a lot of the Gimlet shows. They put them out for wide distribution. And I think, yeah, I think, I think even the creators behind it would be happy about that because more people have access to their content. Yeah. Fair. How do these um, companies kill off? podcasts it sounds really aggressive yeah. but so I, i've seen it where sometimes they'll they'll pay for them they get an exclusive and you know six months later they're like oh this show doesn't exist anymore is that is that a mutual breakup so does the creator get to say i'll get the rights back and i'll just carry on producing it by myself or because spotify own it or have a license over it do they say no this ceases to exist how how does that breakup work um, I, th- I think it's typically usually driven 
by money um, and how much the show costs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, these are the kind of things that I should not be speaking to because I'm not okay. there anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On that case, you've left Spotify now. Mm-hmm. Do you think as a someone not being part of Spotify, do you think they'll acquire any more massive names in the way they did with Megan and the way they did with the Obamas? Do you reckon they'll take that approach again at all? I mean, I think it's been like, listen, I don't know. I think because you, you'll think you'll hear uh, that, you know, that's no longer their business goal again to, you know, sort of acquire listeners because, uh, you know, through these big names, I wouldn't have maybe predicted that Trevor Noah was going to have a show there, but he does and it's doing great. And who knows if that's going to be, they're going to do more of that. Uh, you know, the, the whole business is contracting. Um, they say we're not in a recession, but, uh, it, you know, it, it, everybody's tightening the purse string. So I, I, I do think that if they were to acquire big talent, it would probably not be under the same kind of deal structure or numbers that it were, was in the past. I think those days are behind us through because of a lot of economic wins. Where do you see opportunities for podcasters? Is there certain niches or industries that are underserved like if you're a sort of a fresh podcaster listening to this where would you see the opportunities i love that you use the word niche because and this took some convincing for me um i believe it was corinne gilliard who i worked with at spotify and has now moved on to a uh, higher ground to be i think one of their very high up audio uh executives um she said niche is broad which is sort of like the contradiction of the term itself, but it's, if you can find a highly passionate community about a specific topic, you guys have mentioned sports a couple times now. Um, like you look at Travis Kelsey, it is Jason Kelsey's podcast, which it, you know, Yeesh. ostensibly is about sports, but is, yeah, there are definitely some Taylor Swift fans listening to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would like to know how much of that's about sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but point is, like, I think, you know, if you can look to, and I, I think too often, I will caveat by saying that too often right now as podcast business is casting about for a new strategy, people will look to things like TikTok. But I will say there are some things that I think would translate, trends that would translate, which is to say, you know, my For You page is all about the things that I search for on there. And there's an uh, there's a ton of content there of that particular vertical and people who are very specialized in that and can speak at length and any number of subtopics on that topic for me it happens to be ADHD because it's in my family um i think that there i think focus hyper focusing on a particular topic and I, I guess that falls broadly under the subject of mental health. I think you see a lot on mental health TikTok, and I think you don't see as much mental health um, podcast uh, breaking out. But I think that is an opportunity where people love to listen to it. People love to get advice. Another area that I um, do a lot of my own listening in, which is so this is just exclusively me search, 
but parenting. So you guys aren't parents, I assume, but you, when you are a parent, you're just sort of like, what is going on with my child? Does this happen to everyone? And there's some sort of, even if it's just two parents talking, not an expert or anything, just hearing them say, oh my God, my kid did this too. It, it, there's there's a sense of peace around it and community. And so I do think some of those more very specific vertical topics are a way for, for people to break in. If And if it's something that you yourself can't stop talking about and you have aspirations of having a show, just go for it. There's probably an audience. Yeah, I love that. I, I think people are almost scared. They go, oh, I need to try and please everyone. Because, you know, I, I don't want to launch it and have zero listeners. And then that ends up being the thing that gives them zero listeners because you're no different than anyone else. You know, there's a million comedy shows out there and I'm going to listen to the one who's a comedian who sell, sells out arenas, not some random I don't know. Right. So I think niching is important. Is there any particular niches that you've seen other than mental health that perhaps are underutilized or there's not many people there? Hmm. Ah, I don't know. I feel like um, I would say sports, but that's just because I don't listen to it. Bill, the ringer and Bill Simmons would be like, yeah, no, we're fine. We have enough going on. Um, I don't know. I just think, I think if there is a very devoted community, like I always used to tell interns when I was at MTV radio, like, what are you out talking to your friends about when you go have drinks after work? Um, that's not nothing, you know, it's, it's a form of, of me search, but it's also trust that don't, don't look to industry Titans or people who've been established to tell you what is going to work. Listen to yourself, listen to what your friends are talking about. And guess what? There's probably something there. What can you teach podcasters about growing their show? Is there anything actionable that that people could implement that isn't just spend a billion dollars on a PR campaign for like (laughs) celebrities? Well, you mentioned, I think already sort of, um, cross promotion. And I don't even just mean like mentioning another show on your show. It's guesting like, you know, guest swapping. I think that's the best way to do it. And then maybe, you know, let's say I was going to guest on Mel Robbins show, but let's, and let's say that I also have a big show of my own. It would be great for me, which would no doubt be a a smaller show if I were the host, because I am not Mel Robbins. Uh, If we were to have that episode that featured me on Mel Robbins in my feed as well. And, you know, so literal cross promotion, literal guest swapping, I think um, it's the cheapest and actually probably more effective than a lot of the marketing spends that are out there. Way to grow. Yeah. People underestimate how important collaboration is, right? And your biggest competitors are often your biggest collaborators in the podcast space. It's a bit different to most forms of media, right? Um, yeah. I've got a couple of questions, one for the future, one for the past. Um, knowing what you know now, if you could rewind to the start of working on that, uh, that Megan project, is there any things you would have uh, approached different, differently? Hmm. That's a great question. I would have recorded two seasons at once because I would have really liked to have more than one season. Um, Mm. 
not that that's super easy, but, uh, you know, we all worked very hard and I'm sure the many talented people like Gimlet and Archwell who worked with me on it are like, are you kidding me? It was hard enough getting that one <laughs> series out or one season out. Um, yeah, I would have maybe cut, uh, you know, just back to your point about were there too many people, I might've advocated for fewer rounds of notes, fewer, um, cuts and and do sort of more like we're doing now i mean ultimately the end product did sound like what we're doing but there was a lot of behind the scenes work in terms of like shifting topics and you know so yeah maybe a little more off the cuff if we could you said that maybe she couldn't but i heard her speak impromptu uh to a group of um spotify employees and it was just I was like, why didn't we record this? It was pitch perfect. Like, this is, <laughs> Here's and the it's done. Yeah. So my question for the future is now obviously, like you said, broke up with Spotify. What what's the future for you, Courtney? What what how are you going forward in the podcasting space? I mean, I've had some time and I've deliberately like been slow to make my next official move. I mean, I'm loosely consulting, but um I do like having a, a professional home that I can grow with um, and grow teams and all have a shared goal. Uh, you know, I went on a hike recently with one of my most trusted sort of um, mentors, colleagues, um, ad- advisor is like a dorky word, but she was like, do you still want to be an audio? And I said, I, I still love audio. I don't want to give up on it. It is the best. And I think there is still a lot of hope for it. It just needs to recalibrate its business model. And I'm hoping that I can continue to be a part of it because it is very near and dear to me. So it's interesting you say business model. So from the world that you come from, is it pretty much ad revenue and subscription revenue from Spotify? Is that, is that essentially the only way that they generate income from their shows? Um, podcasters period or... From your experience, so so the podcasters, I guess they just get paid from Spotify. That's their payday. But I guess Spotify is it mostly just ads and the subscription revenue. Yes, but I would say more generally speaking, for the advert, I, I would say actually yes. It's asterisk. It's I don't know the whole business end. I was a creative, so um, and am. But I, when I speak about the industry overall, I'm not just talking about Spotify or Audible. I'm saying. Um, I think there are creative ways for especially new creators and independent creators to come come about. You know, having a Patreon is one of them. I think there are a lot of people out there who also want to see podcasting survive. I mean, in the same way that you found me because I'm sort of a patron of this newsletter, Pod News, right? I think that's how you found me because I, I pay them. I, I love their work. And so I am sponsoring them sort of. Um, I think the same is true of individuals. You know, if I, I don't know, if, if Brene Brown were to go independent and say the only way to hear my podcast is if I have enough Patreon um, subscribers, I would absolutely pony up. And I think there are ways you don't even need to do it through Patreon. I'm just describing the model of a way that people can make a living outside of the ecosystem of the Apple podcasts and Amazons of the world. It's funny how Patreon's kind of become a verb like Google because we do the same thing. Anytime we talk about membership site, just say Patreon is a synonym. 
But it's yeah. like, oh wait, there's so much free promotion going on. There's, yeah. there's, there's other platforms are available. But yeah, if you, that's you, no, if you that's are when other you know platforms. You, that's <laughs> when you know you've made it when you become a verb, right? So just a quick one. A couple of things you were saying were hint I might have been understanding them wrong, but do you feel like podcasting is going in the wrong direction or have I just understood a couple of things you're saying wrong? I mean, I think you mentioned all the newsletters you read and, and it's been interesting when I go out to like cocktails or happy hour or something, if it's not specific to the podcast business and I say, oh yeah, well, I mean, we're in a downturn. They're like, really? There's so many podcasts I listen to. I'm listening all the time. What are you talking about? We're do- I love podcasts. What? And so I may be in the bubble of seeing about all the headlines about layoffs and, you know, deals ending, et cetera. So I don't think the content itself is in a downturn. I just think. Maybe famous ways, podcasters. Maybe. And I think the the ways in which we've previously looked at, you know, keeping it afloat, like you said, advertising subscriptions, subscriptions in terms of like an audible, um, I, I think those will work for for some people, but I think not everyone. So I think things mm-hmm. like independent, uh, you know, paying to support independent creators, you know, their fans, their followings is is another way that hopefully yeah. we can survive. So do you think, if I was to say in five years time, what do you think podcasting would look like? What do you think would be the differences? Well... Not to go on another sort of doom and gloom route. Another um, bubble that I find myself in a lot is, you know, is journalism dying on the vine? Um, and we talked about this a bit too, like the number of people involved. I mean, we've always, in all my conversations about podcasts everywhere I've worked, it's been journalism is expensive. So I would say five years from now, there will be fewer journalistic podcasts except for those maybe sponsored by the NPRs or the BBCs, um, which, you know, have government funding and ongoing fundraising campaigns in the case of um, NPR. But um, I would say other, other outlets are going to be less likely to invest in the more expensive, especially because, as we said earlier, the audience isn't necessarily big enough to justify the investment in these, sadly, I'm, I'm one of the listeners, but I realize again, I'm a focus group of one and I am not, I alone cannot support a Pulitzer prize level journalistically reported podcast. Um, but I think there will be even more chat shows than there are now, whether they will all have an audience remains to be seen. I still think there is something to be said for quality. I don't think chat show necessarily equals um, garbage content. <laughs> You're glad to hear, I'm sure. Um, so, but I think there's just a lot more room for experimentation and low barrier to entry for chat shows. And so I think we'll still have a lot of those. And I think there will still be a, a huge amount of content to listen to. Um mm if not more, it's just the, the, the more expensive content might be harder to find. So there'll be less of the big high production, but we're not seeing another mega Markle podcast then. You don't think we'll see as many of those style of a hundred chefs, more of the, actually here's a couple of guys just doing it with one team member stores style podcast. Or a couple of gals or a couple of non-binary folks, but yes, yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm just being me. Yeah. 
Do you think you can grow a podcast nowadays without a video version and social media? <sighs> as, a, I mean, as a lover I, of audio, can, it's can you do it? It's of course, of course. I mean, there's a reason. It, I, I've said that Spotify is the biggest platform, but I think it's actually YouTube. But when it comes to just pure audio podcasts, I think that um, Spotify is still number one. But uh, you know, I haven't w- looked at the numbers lately. All to say, I think, uh, like the, again, to reference the Travis Kelsey podcast, I think it started on YouTube. It's a video podcast. Joe Rogan, of course. Um, while it's not the way that I consume podcasts, again focus group of one there's clearly an audience for video podcasts and i think it just needs a rename it's weird you know like in thinking about is it still a podcast if it doesn't live just in your ipod or whatever like even the ipod doesn't exist anymore um so i think that video is definitely going to continue to grow and i and at some point it may even overtake the audio specific podcasts so I'm on your team though Courtney I prefer to listen and watch yeah yeah I mean it's not as portable right like I'm a I'm a multitasker by nature um Mm -hmm. that's how I mostly got into podcasts is that I needed something when I was doing something mundane to keep me company and doing the dishes doing the laundry tuning out my children um going on a walk (laughs) right and I I don't understand people who do they do they sit and just watch it and that's the only thing they're doing I guess it's like yeah, TV. I, I can't sit and watch yeah. it like that. I, I mean, I use YouTube Shorts or TikTok to discover podcasts quite often through the um, through clips, but I'm not going to then watch the whole episode. I'll put it on when I drive a half an hour somewhere. Ah, so, so you do think uh, that kind of thing is uh, uh, Shorts or TikToks are a good way for discovery? That If there was only one style of video you could use, be it short form or long form, I'd definitely do short form um, because it, it's got the more element of being pushed out to people where mm-hmm. people can discover you not necessarily go from watching a 30 second video to a 30 minute podcast but if you see enough of them next time you're going to listen to a podcast you might consider that one you keep seeing but also we find for us if we stop posting our listeners go down so mm-hmm. if not attracting new listeners all the time it helps keep you relevant to those that listen to your show quite often mm-hmm. they might see a clip and be like oh i'll listen to that when i drive later and it's almost like it's a show. trailer and you don't have to make that extra mm-hmm. expenditure for a trailer, you know? Yeah, exactly that. Cause I, I find that trailer clips of podcast episodes rarely perform that well on social media. They anyway, have to be mega produced. Don't yeah. and, and, and even then, like, I mean, I think one of the best at doing it is Stephen Bartlett's star of a CEO. His intros are really good. But then if you compare it, if you go through his Instagram feed, like the next clip is just an actual clip from that podcast it'll do twice as well. So mm-hmm. I, I think to an, to an extent, they're almost wasted. Yeah, mm. yeah. So uh, Courtney, why don't you just start a podcast of your own? Do you, you want to get back in the game? Why so don't you become an indie creator? That. So many people say that. It is so weird. I don't know why I have hesitation to do it. Maybe it's because I am aware of just the sheer volume of the hundreds of thousands of podcasts that are out there. I'm like, well, what do I have to add to the conversation? I'd rather find someone who has that special something and help them get there so well, well you can always sit there and just slag off all those famous people you've worked with and go viral yeah <laughs> work for the daily mail oh my god no god 
<laughs> one's one's got Daniel Ek in the title, the next one's got Meghan Markle. Yeah, uh-huh. Daily Mail. There you go. I'm sure you'd be happy to slag off the Daily Mail yeah, at least. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that podcast already exists too, though the slagging off Daily Mail. You're their biggest fan, right? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Awesome. Now, Courtney, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, we appreciate you. you. Where can everyone fun. find you and connect with you? Oh my gosh. Um, I was not prepared Pitch. for this. I don't have a website. <laughs> I need a website. Find me on LinkedIn because that's, that's where I found you. Uh, yes. Thank you. Because that's um, where I, I actually spend most of my time networking and, and finding new clients or finding new opportunities. So check me out. I guess it's and LinkedIn. You do some consultancy work, right? Yeah. Yeah. So LinkedIn.com slash Courtney Reimer. I think that's what it is, but you can, you can just we'll link it in the show notes so people can find you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yep. And I am, I'm here to help. I, if you want to make a podcast, let's talk. Thank you, Courtney. Appreciate you. Thank you so much.